we keep trying to, to attack it from the hole. You can't do it. Never have been able to. You have to have faith that if you take care of the individual, the whole will work. And I preach this so much. Everybody goes, cool, we're going to have a 75-page dress code policy. Well done. Well done. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I am extremely pumped up for today's show. So the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Brown is with us. If you don't know Steve, then you probably aren't on HR Twitter. Uh, but for those of you that don't know Steve, an absolutely wonderful speaker. I've seen him speak a few different times, and I have some of his uh, some of his speeches literally framed in my office so I don't forget some of the, the uh, truth bombs that he drops. Uh, Steve is the Chief People Officer for uh, La Rosa's Pizzeria Incorporated. He has written uh, a couple books about HR, HR on Purpose and HR Rising, and just really excited to have him on the show today. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Patrick. It's good to be here, man. Well, Steve, thank you again so much for for, uh, for being here. And, and um, you know, this, this is a little bit of, a, of an exciting podcast for me just simply because I'm such a huge fan. And um, whether you realize it or not, I, I uh, sincerely thank you for influencing the way that I've approached HR, especially over the last few years, um, as, as well as the network that you have really built up around human resources. Um, so I think for the, for the benefit of anybody that maybe isn't familiar with your, uh, some of your work, um, why don't we just start with why did you choose HR and what is your approach towards HR? I'm one of those people that chose HR on purpose. And I know that's my book title and I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. Uh, But when I was in college, uh, I was in the sciences because I wanted to make money and have this huge career. And the career counselor said sciences were the way to go. But I ended up doing poorly. I graduated valedictorian in my high school class. And by the end of the second quarter, of college, because I went when there were quarters and not semesters. Uh, by the end of the second quarter, I was one quarter away from getting kicked out for failing college. And I went home after a real good uh, experience in the chemistry class where I was trying to take care of a friend instead of pay attention to the chemistry class. And my mom said, why aren't you doing a field where, where you're around people? Don't you realize you're around people all the time? And what's interesting is I love when people say, I'm a people person. I doubt it. Okay, I, <laughs> I, I am. I'm the guy that when I would walk to class, I said hi to every single person all the way up to the class and all the way back down. People hated going to class with me. And I wasn't doing it for show. I was doing it because I wanted to know Patrick and I wanted to know Kyle and I wanted to know Mary. I mean, you just, just wanted to know them. So when I started, I got into recruiting and uh, the reason I got into recruiting was I took an interviewing class at OU, and the, at the end of the class, they said, who should interview the people and who should be interviewed? And the class said, we think Steve should interview himself. <laughs> and I went, I said, that's, that's, that's a sign. <laughs> so I uh, started in recruiting and uh, didn't really know what HR was because showing my age, it wasn't HR then. It was personnel still. 
And it wasn't what it is now. After my first job, which was an experience, I got thrown into a generalist role, and that was before the term generalist existed. It was, you're in charge of my people. And I, I've written about it, I've shared, you know, my boss said, if you're not here for my people, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. And so from that on, I was like, I can be with people on purpose. This is amazing. <laughs> so now, since then, so that was back in the late 80s, from then till now, I've always been a people first person. Now I'm in a position where I can really make it happen organizationally. I've tried in pockets throughout my career, but now I'm in a role where it's an expectation and it's something that leads the company. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think, you know, one of the things we were talking about before we hit record, the the evolution of HR for me is very exciting uh, to the point that, you know, your title is chief people officer, not CHRO. Uh, so what does that difference mean to you? I was told by my boss and the CEO. So I reported to the COO. The CEO and the president are brothers. I work for a family company. And they gave me the news. But I got to go talk to my boss. He says, we're going to promote you. You choose the title. Hmm. And I said, really? And I said, well, I really kind of like the people officer versus CHRO. I said, now, I don't think that there's that much differentiation, but if you meet CHROs, genuine highbrow CHROs, one of the fewest things they talk about is people. Hmm. They talk about systems and strategic thinking and large design, all positive stuff, organizational type of approach. But without people, it doesn't matter. So I said, can I be the chief people officer? And he says, I think that fits. <laughs> and I went, okay. So then I went to Michael, the CEO. I said, I think I'd like to be the chief people officer. He goes, we were hoping you'd say that. And I went, okay. So uh, <laughs> what was interesting, one of the reasons they promoted me when they said, we want to have a people first focus. So we need to have the person who's in charge of people be in that role. So it's part of our cultural fabric. I think if we went that route as an industry, we'd have a much different approach to the most senior HR roles. That's a question I have for you, Stephen, and I've thought about this a lot. The way HR is just transitioning, the way it has been over the past uh, mainly seven to ten years roughly, into this more of seat at the table, people first, the title human resources, you know, that profession. Do you see that? In, in your career in the next 15 years, 20 years, that actual title of that profession changing at all to more of a people-centered type of um, title or, or what have you? I'd like it to, but I think there's a contingency that you have to address first. When you say, uh, I'm in charge of people operations, then HR needs to be operational instead of mm-hmm. transactional. So until it's operational, you can change the title all you want. Where we're going as our organization is, I'm trying to change the mindset from HR being support. For years, it's been we're a support function. If you listen to that, there's nothing wrong with support, but it means I go to see Patrick if I have to. I go to see Patrick when things are wrong. Therefore, Steve gives me support or Patrick gives me support. We're a resource. 
we should be an integral resource for the company, not a business partner, not, you know, an operational function unless we're truly operationalized, but being a resource. So I'm here to make you do better so you can perform. I'll solve problems too, but I'm not coming at it from a problem focus. I'm coming at it from how can I be a resource to help you? Accept? I love that approach. It reminds me of a conversation Kyle and I went out, uh, what was that, Wednesday, we met up uh, for about an hour and had a drink. And I was telling him about the story that happened to me on Monday where, you know, some companies, your HR department, you try to drive it more strategically. We're more of a partner, but some companies still fall into that transactional piece. We go to you when we need you. And it just so happened, it was a conversation Monday where um, one of my, my direct boss or CFO, uh, uh, VP of operations, and another person came into my office, started asking me about all these staffing questions and what we're going to do. And, and I just stopped and I'm just kind of like, what are you guys even talking about? And they're like, oh, we just came from a meeting. And I said, and you were talking about staffing? Well, yeah, that, that came up in the meeting. And, and my response was, so you had an HR meeting without HR. Why are we still doing this? Organizations <laughs> still get wrapped into this. And I wasn't just offended, but you could see the light bulbs go off in their head like, yeah, we should have called you once we started going down that road. And it just, it just happens. Mm -hmm. It does. I think that one of the other cycles to break, though, is I was just meeting with a fellow CPO today. He's brand new. It is fun. We got to hang out and you know, share thoughts. And I said, if you hear the term, I have to go to HR, it tells you how HR is positioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So don't don't tell me you're strategic if I have to go some distance to see you. <laughs> don't don't have a meeting about HR functions and we go, oh, I guess we should include mm -hmm. Patrick. It, if you're in an afterthought, now I, I appreciate that you stepped up and kind of called him on the carpet. But a lot of HR people would just you know internalize that and go, oh, they did it again. Ugh. We got to stop that. Just got to stop. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, and, and I think you know it's it's really it's an interesting um, story, Patrick. That you know you in the time of need, i.e., all of 2020 for the most part, uh, you know you were you were there, right? You were helping support the business and answering questions about employee safety and well-being, and you know being concerned about mental health and working from home and all those things. Um, and now that some of those things are starting to loosen up, it's almost like the attitude is shifting. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see which organizations continue to prioritize the people side of the business now that they can reprioritize on profitability, for instance, as opposed to making sure people don't catch a, you know, global pandemic, uh, disease. And so, um, but I, Steve, a great call out, I think for any HR practitioners out there, um, don't give up the clout that you just built last year, make it strategic, you know, d don't give people an option. And, and, you know, I think so many of us added so much value to our organizations that we have to continue to push forward and we can't settle back into being the, you know, the people you have to include. I, it's so right. I mean, just even the phrase, I have to go to HR means that it's a chore. Yes. It's like, oh, now I have to go talk to the cop, the traffic cop, so, right? <laughs> so, so two things for you real quick. One, that I did with my CEO. Two, 
the ones that we're, we're really doing right now. While we were transitioning during the pandemic, we had been talking about doing curbside pickup at our pizzerias for three years. And it's the right thing to do. Pandemic happens, we changed in a week and went from not having it to having it. So we go, we need to be more agile, and we're not. We need to be more this, and we're not. Crisis hits, boom. So I went to the CEO afterwards. I said, congratulations, this is awesome. It's going to help our company. We're going to do so well in this, and we're so good at this. Isn't it interesting that people come together during a crisis, but they don't to expect performance? And he went, oh. I said, so can't we have the same passion and agility and creativity and collaboration all the time? Or do we need to be on fire to do it? And he says, good point, jerk. Anyway, it went well. <laughs> but he, t- he, took it, he took it in stride and, and we moved forward. Then something I didn't mention earlier, my boss that I'd been with for 14 plus years, three days before Christmas passed away unexpectedly. Mm. And he and I were tied to the hip. I mean, literally every day we were together. So as we came out of it, trying to figure out what we were going to do as a company, Michael said this, and it's out there, but I don't hear people practicing it. He says, we're doing a company reset. And I went, okay, so what we're doing is we're resetting to move forward. We're not returning to what we did. So our thing is reset. (laughs) Hey, let's go back to the way it was. Do you really want to do that? And honestly, you can't because things have changed. So this falling back, like you mentioned, Kyle, we have to step in and say, I'm not going to allow this. We're only moving forward. Yeah, it's almost like companies were, they weren't only forced to pivot, they were forced to go into survival mode in a way. We were in a position to sacrifice profitability just to keep people employed. But now that things are getting back to normal, and I hate that, and I say that with with uh, quotations like that. It's not the new normal. It's it's our it's our reality. You know, it's our reality. Exactly. And some of those things still need to maintain and stay in place. But I I think I hope we've all learned that not only can we pivot and be stronger together, but we can be more efficient now and cut out some of the BS that we don't need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And HR people have to get us fine. I'll just be honest. Amen. You need to stand up and say, you know what? You've relied on me. The other thing that's very fascinating to me about the whole pandemic, and Kyle and I were talking a little bit about this before we came on the air. Even through tragedy, you can learn. This is the first time globally or generationally that we've ever had something that has affected the entire world. We weren't around for World War II. We weren't around for some of the other big global things. So here's the first global thing we've all gone through. So do you learn from that and move ahead or do you bemoan it to return to what you didn't like? Mm-hmm. So, but HR people tend to go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not in charge anymore and I'm not, they don't come to me anymore. That's on you. Yep. So my thing is lead from where you are, stand up for what you believe and tell them this. Every issue issue is a people issue. If you don't believe this, and I, I've been practicing this, it's so much fun. When you, uh, Kyle, uh, sorry, Patrick, you just said this. Here's the meeting. CFO comes to you, and if you listen to organizational conversation, the second sentence or third at the least, you'll hear someone's name. 
hey, we're having a meeting, and Patrick, you go, ah, people <laughs> issue. So quit, <laughs> quit telling me it's about staffing. You need people. It involves people. So for HR people not to go, hey, everything's a people issue, always has been. It just took a pandemic for us to realize it, and that's awful. We shouldn't have to go through something so horrible in order to elevate people in our organizations. Absolutely. I, I distinctly remember, and this was back in like um, April, May 2020, like, you know, it, at that point, you could have called me the chief firefighter because it was like, it was just like, oh, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. What do we do? Um, or, or you could call me chief whack-a-mole. Um, you know, like, let's go, okay, let's whack that one. Oh, there's a problem. Let's whack that one. Let's whack it. And, and, you know, we were, it was just craziness. And my CEO, who's just a wonderful person and just understands people very emotionally intelligent. He, he, he's like, man, these are all people issues. <laughs> so I was lamenting to him about all the issues. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but I think Thankfully, he had that mindset so that, that that became the priority. And then once that was the clearly articulated priority, then it became a focus. And it's something that we're not willing to let go away. And so I'm very fortunate to be, to be in this organization uh, that I'm in currently. But we're starting to face that now at kind of the departmental manager level where you have a manager who comes to you and says, well, we need to go back to 2019 because we were, you know, X percent more efficient. And, and the truth is, you know, I, I think as HR, we have to be the disruptors a little bit and challenge that and say, you know, is that data even relevant? Mm -hmm. You know, the data set that, that you're using is not relevant, especially when, oh, by the way, the job that you want to bring into the office five days a week, right now, I can't even get an applicant if I don't post that there's at least some flexibility to work from home within this right. job. Right. It's a new norm. It's a new world. Yeah. I had a friend say this. Uh, she's an HR tech vendor, uh, Hooler. If you don't know what Hooler is, you need to check it out. It's a cool new thing that aggregates all your sites. Really cool. But here's what she said. She talked to a potential client and the person said, well, if people work from home, I want to have their cameras on all the time. And I want to have uh, knowledge that they're logged into the computer and she said, so what did you do before the pandemic? And he says, well, I don't know. He says, why, was important, why is performance important differently now? Because someone's not sitting down the hall from you. When in 2018 and 2019, you didn't really know. And he came back and said, don't care. I want cameras and keyboards. And she says, I think we're done. And walked away hmm. from potential business. Because she said, I'm not going to work with a company if that's how they view their people. Interesting. And and coming from such a place of distrust. That's mm -hmm. what I that's what it sounds like to me. I don't know the company, mm -hmm. but I right, mean I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. I don't want to no. work there. Do you want to work that's, there, Patrick? That's taking Big Brother to a level. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think you're gonna see it. It's funny. Uh I remember when we used to have big conversations at conferences, HR conferences, about should we allow telecommuting? It was, should we allow? <laughs> right. Because the idea is if someone's home and, oh, by way, the way, they're dressed comfortably, that's evil. 
you know, they're around, they're in familiar circumstances. That's stupid. I mean, you just listen to it and you go, oh, and then all of a sudden you know, it was, our hands were forced. And now people are like, I kind of like this. I'd like to work a hybrid thing. Can we be more flexible? And companies automatically go back to what they think is successful by being more rigid. And more rigid has never worked, ever. You know, what Kyle and I, uh, another thing we were talking about this week, I've noticed uh, through my wife's organization, a lot of times when people are at home, whether the boss knows it or not, they're actually not only more productive a majority of the time, they're working more than when they were in the office. You know, they don't, they're not getting the eyes, the interruptions, the coffee talk. And unfortunately, now there's an expectation that the people working from home are always accessible. If frontline managers are in at 545, 6 in the morning, you know your employee at home has their laptop open, even though they're probably getting their kids ready for school. And you know they're probably going to be accessible at 530. And that shift, that demand and that expectation, it, I mean, that really weared on my wife for a while until she learned how to draw a line. But um, that's starting to become a new normal, more and more remote being allowed. I think, I hope not, but I think. Well, I agree. One of the other things I wrote about this recently on LinkedIn, it was funny. LinkedIn reached out and asked for my opinion, which is creepy. Uh, but they said, Hey, we'd like you to respond to this post. And the post was remote work. And what's so funny is we make everything in HR blankets. It's like this giant blanket that covers the globe everyone's remote. My pizza cooks had been live every day. So I wrote, we got to quit having a white collar mentality for everything and have an employee mentality on everything. So what's the mix of white collar, blue collar, frontline, office? So we're trying to make all these giant shifts from the workplace saying remote is this because instead of saying, I expect performance. What's the best way to do it? How does that fit your needs? Put the person's name in. And we're so afraid to turn it around and make it what it could be better from expecting great performance and allowing people the latitude to do that and building new systems that accommodate this new flexible workforce. Because the blue collar people are going to be coming to work every day and have been. But we write policies from a white collar perspective. We write handbooks from a white collar perspective. Instead of saying, as team members, here's what we have. Here's our culture. Yep, it's never one so size fits all. Does, it doesn't work. Right. It's, it Correct. doesn't work. And, and one of the things that, that I wanted to hit on is the, the propensity for us in HR to think that bureaucracy is safe or good. And I, I loved in your book, HR on Purpose, I loved the example of the handbook at an engineering firm because believe me, I that is that spoke to me with like section 1.1 and the eight pages of coffee, you know, how to make coffee. And and, you know, I just I, I look at handbooks as it's like the lowest common denominator, like you're writing this handbook, assuming that everybody is trying to do the absolute least amount of work possible or, you know, and you're writing it for like the two percent of employees that are going to screw up. As opposed to the 98% of employees that come to work and want to do the right thing on a regular basis. I agree. I think the one of the other things I've been working on recently is how to simplify what we do. And uh, it was interesting uh, in a presentation I did, it talks about how being simple is majestic. I forget the exact quote, but Martin Scorsese said this, simple is hard. 
I mean, you think of it, here's this, you know, Oscar winning legend in the film industry. And he says, simple, simple is hard. And he is so right. We think the more layers we have, and by building things to an exception, we're actually covering the majority. Instead of saying, I bet people will come to work. So uh, it was funny. I had somebody said, so what's your return to work policy? Now, listen to that. I'm going to fire you because it's a policy for returning to work. And they go, no, no. I said, well, and then how about how about a, a procedure? How about an action? So I said, how about this? They go, well, what's your ret- return to work policy? I said, this is what I said. Wherever you are, I expect you to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go, that's it? I go, yep. Well, how do you measure that? I don't have to. The expectation is that you'll work. Well, how do you how do you quantify that? And what's the performance management metrics? And what's the ROI? And how much investments am I? Hey, uh, I'd like you to do your job. <laughs> and they're like, you're awful. I go, you got to make it simple. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you treat an adult like an adult? <laughs> <laughs> I know. One stupid. thing I want to touch on, or Steve, I want to ask you to touch on, just because I think last time I saw you, we were in uh, in Vegas at the National Sherm Conference. Um, and I think you touched mm-hmm. on this in your book. And we talk about people, and Kyle made the comment, we write the handbook for the 2% of people we need it for. Or the people we're talking about, all the time, and this is where I'm going, Steve, is our high potential people. And and you called out, I hate that term high potential because can't everybody have potential? I think that's how you phrased it. Can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's so important in the HR world for just people to hear your viewpoint on that. I think everybody can add value. And it doesn't matter whether some person adds more value or not. When companies build entire systems on, boy, you talk about the the tra- trap of lack of diversity, lack of inclusion, lack of equity, all the big things that we always should have been doing. When you start identifying somebody as a category, you are automatically eliminating every other person. And what if that person cannot fulfill the potential you think he or she could fulfill? Because it happens. Or you think that they're going to do it the way you want, and they can't. I would much rather have us look at this. What's a person's capacity? How much can they take on? What's their capability? And is that best thing, when I measure those two things, what's the best role for that person to fully be fulfilled in their capacity and fully be capable and work from their strengths? And I'm not talking aspirational fact. This is what Steve's good at. This is what Steve's not good at. And and then you build an organization that way. You'll find more talented people fill roles better without ever having to identify a subset of future. It's false succession planning. It just is. I've seen it fail far more often than succeed. Uh, I worked with the firm I worked for before I came here We had a person who the second week I was with him, I said, I don't trust him. We need to fire him, which is not what you want to hear from your HR person. I said, I'm just telling you, something's wrong. They go, you just don't like him. I said, no, as a person, fine. Something's wrong. Nine years later, not exaggerating, we were one month away from making him a partner in the firm. 
and I raise Cain. I'm like, you are making the biggest mistake. I wouldn't let this guy invest in the company. I'm telling you, something's wrong. But he's of high potential, and he has such this, and he has such that. Uh, someone, he told his story, said, oh, you're so wonderful, and they hired him, and he left. The next week, we found out he had been stealing from the company for years. He had been billing hours for work that wasn't done for years. All of these horrible things that he was able to cloud over because he was seen as this chosen person. It's wrong. It's not fair to the people either. It's not. Because the expectations are never clearly defined or clearly expressed. It's kind of the, let's see if Patrick sinks or swims. That's so old school crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, let's see who rises. The cream rises to the top. Shut up. I mean, it's it's awful. I'd rather say, how can you do your best today? How do you know the expectations to do your role today? Do you know the expectations of others today? Fill you your capacity, fill your capability. You'll show who has the most potential. I think sometimes frontline managers get so wrapped up, and Kyle, I think we've talked about this before, about just eliminating the problem. They're not working out for us, whether it's productivity, motivation, who knows. Well, maybe they're just not the right fit for that role, so let's look somewhere else. Let's explore options before we just say, let's get rid of them. And I think that it's our position in this profession to push back on that and try to understand or let people under see there could be another avenue for this employee. My rule of thumb is someone loses their job, they earned it. Okay. And it's based on behavior, not perception and not uh, personality. Cause my goodness, we all have huge giant blind spots, but if someone's behavior, we're trying to change completely as an organization, because what I'm learning now that I'm older is this, I can influence behavior. I can control nothing. <laughs> but I can shape behavior. And if I can shape behavior and you choose to fall within the parameters of behavior, which we feel are good, constructive, legal, all that HR stuff in there. But if you can fall within those behaviors, watch what happens. People will choose. And I won't have people managers pick people out because they don't fit their style or fit their direction or lack the same strengths that they value. You're, you're spot on. Hundred percent. I love this conversation, and I—I I, I mean, for me, I'm reflecting on a on a situation er, much earlier in my career where I was on that I was on the hypo list, you know, and it was like to the point that it, in that organization, you almost got like a it's almost like a merit badge, right? You know, oh, you're hypo, oh, cool, cool, good, for, yeah, man, I, yeah, I was, yeah, I'm trying to get that hypo list, you know. It was like this weird, um, weird situation, and then. A few years later, um, my priorities started to change, and I wanted to start a family. Was looking to get married, wanted to buy a house. And in this specific organization, in order to be on that list, you had to be able to move anywhere, anytime. Um, and and the minute that you said, you know, I'm really not looking to move, at least not any, you know, no, okay, fine. Now you're a strong contributor. Well, oh. the difference between being a high potential and a strong contributor meant you are this close to getting fired the next time you screw up. And, and, and it was and the organization didn't do it intentionally, 
But I mean, I had, I can't tell you how many people pulled me aside and they were also strong contributors and they're like, man, you shouldn't have said you can't move. Why'd you tell them that? You, you, that was stupid. You shouldn't have done that. You, you, now you now you got to work a lot harder. I'm like, I'm like the guys, this is really effed up. Yes, <laughs> I no was just doubt. being honest. <laughs> yeah, I was being genuine. We don't like that. You're a high potential. Well, no surprise. I didn't I didn't stay there much longer. You know, I mean, and 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 that's what happened. So I had every intention of of working there as long as I possibly could until that scenario. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens to to people who have capabilities and get disenfranchised because of some archaic ranking system. There's a new, newer factor that's coming up that I really like the tone of that addresses this better called internal mobility. So how can I move? Can I move? If I move, where do I move? If I don't and I fail, but internal mobility systems are much clearer and allow for people to do well, and they might take a technical track, they might take a professional track, they might take a uh, development track, or change you know, from operations to HR to finance. You just don't know. Uh, or they might go in the field and run a manufacturing facility. You just it, It's a lot broader way to look at this. So I think people are well-intentioned, but we're not giving people a good pathway to do it. So I'd rather focus on how do you, how are you mobile? Can you be mobile? There are some companies you can't be. You know, like your example, Kyle, your mobility was contingent. Well, right. you know, be upfront about that. Right. It's unfortunate. A lot of <laughs> corporate structures, the big corporations still live in that world of, well, if you're not going to sell your soul to me, um, you're not going to get the opportunities. You know, God forbid. Very true. You families right <laughs> well it, what's funny is uh, most people that say that are a latter part of their career they forget that they had families and they forget that they were given that latitude uh, we we are very it's funny when people talk about generations in the workplace being that i'm in one of the last generations which is fun now <laughs> uh, i want the next generation to be better than my generation because we went through I went to work because I was told to. I followed rules because if you don't follow rules, you're disruptive and we don't like disruptive people. I went through all of the stuff that people will never remember. And thank goodness. Because now we need to have a workforce and a workplace that allows for personal growth, adding value instantly when you start in the company. Flexibility to in order to handle my personal family situation. One of the things the CPO and I were talking about this morning at coffee was this. I think too many people practice HR corporately instead of individually. If I can take of Patrick care of Patrick and take care of Kyle and take care of Steve and take care of Susie and take care of Laura, the whole will work. We keep trying to, to attack it from the whole. You can't do it. Never have been able to. You have to have faith that if you take care of the individual, the whole will work. And I preach this so much. Everybody goes, Cool. We're going to have a 75-page dress code policy. <laughs> yes. Well done. Well done. I hate dress code policies too. Somebody asked me – so I've been in my company about three years now, and when I came in, it was kind of the Wild West to be honest. They'd, we actually needed some policies. But one of the, one of the issues was um, 
dress code. So I walk in the door and they're, you know, oh, we need one specific manager. Like we really need a dress code. We just can't, I can't handle these people coming in. And, and I took a page out of the, uh, I think she's the CEO at, uh, at GE now. I took, I took her dress code and it's literally two words, dress appropriately. And, then, and that was it. And I, and so I put it on letterhead and I, I like signed it and, you know, all this stuff, like made it really, really official. And I emailed it to her and I said, here, here's your policy. You could show that to the employee you're concerned about. <laughs> That's awesome. Well done. Yeah. That's great. That's fun. I just love, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I just kind of love trolling my managers too. Just to, you know, it's just kind of fun. It's just, it's just it's twisted humor, but you know, they say that's a sign of intelligence. At least I read that on the line. So it's probably true, right? <laughs> Everything online is true. <laughs> oh, but I digress. I, I think, um, you know, it, it's just been such a fascinating uh, evolution. Just and I, I've only been in the in the profession for you know almost two decades now. So so still very much a student of human resources. But just the the amount of change that I've seen in my uh, short career and the the fact that it seems to be accelerating so quickly it's exciting for me to try to envision what the future of of work looks like and and be a part of that it's really exciting so um you know it's 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 just fun this is fun right what we do is fun i like how you said it's fun right right yeah yeah it is i mean yeah, i'm not awesome. i'm not totally off my rocker right <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's the best profession there is. Uh, I say it all the time. No other job other than HR or whatever we call it in the future. No other job gets the chance to positively impact every person every day. Not one. Why would you pass that up? You know, if I heard that and I knew that was true and I had that ability, I would join HR today. You know, we're unique. It's kind of like us in IT touches every, every single person in the organization all the time. But, uh, no offense to IT, but we get to have a little bit of fun with it. <laughs> Sometimes I don't want to know what IT does. That's right. We have different firewalls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well said. Well, you know, if um, you know, as we get to uh, the end of our time together here, I just want to again, uh, Steve, thank you for for all your work and your influence. Uh, inside and outside of your organization, I think, you know, especially your book, HR on Purpose, there was a time um, when I was reading that book for the first time, you know, it was, uh, you know, a little bit of a darker period in in my career. And I was really struggling with HR and what am I going to do in the future and how am I going to impact this and was dealing with some struggles. And, you know, your book helped to, you know, what I would say, I would call it clarify why uh, we do what we do. And so for that, I thank you. And, and for any HR practitioners out there that are, are looking for some inspiration or, or struggling with, with where to go next or how to add value in the organization, um, check out Steve's work. It's, it's well worth it. Well said. It's very kind, gentlemen. Very kind. All right. Well, we have a few questions. We have to do a couple formal questions just to uh, ruffle your feathers, Steve, a little bit. So we're going to go into the Rebel HR flash round. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite people book? Uh, oh, talk about it. The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which is not a 
typical business book, but he talks about how uh, how to have a social epidemic, which is a bad word right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, he talk he talks about how to get things changed on a grand scale, and it's brilliant. And if if you take the points from it, you can really move things internally and professionally. All right, love it. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell is an amazing author. Question number two: Who should we be listening to? <laughs> Trick question. Uh, <laughs> I think you should be listening to your team members. We don't. Uh, one of the things I'm working on, uh, and I say that a lot, but I'm allowed to be an idea person now, and I just fascinating. And I think it's this: we focus so much on output, but we don't ask for input. I would rather get your input. It doesn't mean that the output's going to change or that I'm going to change the direction. But to continue to focus on productivity only and not ask for people's opinions and genuinely listen to what they have to say, we're just missing the opportunity. So I think you should listen to your employees. Love it. Extra question I'm going to throw in here just because I know you're a music fan. What's your favorite band? (sighs) Tough one. Uh, that's the toughest question uh, it is it is by far uh i have to say you too okay and this is and and this is why (laughs) uh they hit right when i was in college they were huge i have every song literally every song they've ever done regular bootleg you name it and then when i was the conference chair for the ohio state Journal conference I, i i've always been a guy who just doesn't like the rules so in the past, they would go, so, Kyle, great job as the chair. Here's your big piece of crystal junk that you'll never use. So I changed it, and I said, we're going to have, here's the budget. You need to ask the chair what they want. So one year, we bought a person, a uh, Ohio State uh, thing that was, she was a huge Buckeye, went an alumni, and we made the script Ohio in her name with the band and got a picture of it and bought some other things and she lost her mind. And then the next person who was chair, we bought a flagpole for her house. So she could put a flag in her yard, which again, is different. They said, so what do you want? I said, I want something music related. You choose, you know who I am. So they got me an autographed copy of the Joshua tree. Nice. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh, that's the coolest thing ever. You know? So, (laughs) You too, man. If I could meet Bono and The Edge and Larry. Oh, my gosh. There it is right there. This is my Pandora station today. You too. (laughs) I think I just had you two playing too. This is why we get along. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But, yeah, I have a ton of music. I'm a huge music person. You guys know that. But you too is my go-to. Love it. All right. Last question. How can our listeners connect with you? Two great ways. Three. We'll see if people will respond. Uh, LinkedIn, but understand if you connect with me on LinkedIn, it's on. Yeah, if you just want to be connected to me, get over it because I'm going to come after you because I, <laughs> I want you to succeed. I just don't want you to be a number that I am connected to. Twitter, but if you're on we on Twitter with me, we talk. We don't just you know post about what's happy. If we should, positive things, but we have conversations because that's what the platform was always intended to be. And the third one is you can email me at sbrown at larosas, L-A-R-O-S, talk on it, L-A-R-O-S-A-S dot com, brown with an E. 
uh, I want to get you more connected. So if you want to have somebody who's a senior person, I never had a senior person talk to me growing up. I had to figure a lot of this stuff out on my own. And that was a miss. I would rather help somebody do well in their career, whether they're in the beginning of their career, in the middle, or at the end. Um, I would love to help people out. Love it. And uh, Steve's not just saying that. I've I've personally benefited just from some of his his speeches, and and I'm I'm definitely an HR Twitter guy. In hashtag is it hashtag, hashtag HR community? Yes, that's the hashtag. You, you just follow mm-hmm. the hashtag. And, and listen to all of the wonderful HR practitioners that follow that hashtag and share and help and support each other. I consider Steve one of the uh, one of the primary reasons that that's been successful. So get connected, guys. It's, it's, it's well worth it. So with that, Steve, we are beyond time, and I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so much knowledge is, is, uh, has been shared and, and uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the opportunity. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we no animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.